0: Well, we do have the privilege of coming again to God's Word and uh, to go back to the book of Romans. And so take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 16, and we have arrived in the final chapter of this epic epistle, uh, Paul's magnum opus, if you will, that we've been studying for the last several years. And uh, we're on the home stretch here. Uh, Lord will, and we have uh, one, two, three uh, more messages, including this morning. So this morning and two more is kind of how I've laid it out. And so this morning we're going to be looking at the first 16 verses and also including verses 21 through 23. And I think you'll understand why as we get into this text. And, and so I want to read those verses for you. And uh, if you're familiar with this portion of Romans, um, there is a long list of names here, and so as I read it, please grant me grace, because many of these names sounds like you're reading the cast of the Lord of the Rings or something, and uh, the names might not be the easiest ones to pronounce, but I'll give it my best shot. Romans 16, verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Sancria. That you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you, for she herself has also been a helper of many, and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Apennines my beloved, who was the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners who were outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus, Greet Herodian, my kinsmen. Greet those of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Greet Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and brethren with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them, greet one another with a holy kiss, all the churches of Christ greet you. And then jump down to verse 21, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, and so do Lucius and Jason and Sopatar, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you, and Quartus the brother, Father, thank you for the confidence that we have whenever we come to your word. That uh, no word in the Bible was wasted. Lord, you have inspired each and every word; they're all relevant for us, all practical for our lives. And so, help us as we uh, study these verses and this this, this list of names. Lord, that we would see how applicable this is to our lives. And so, would you grant us grace to do that in Jesus' name? Amen. Well, when Kelly and I met and began dating in college some 33 years ago, like most couples, we were searching for a lifelong companion. But knowing that God had called me to serve him in full time ministry, I was also looking for a ministry partner someone who was willing to serve the Lord alongside me. Well, Kelly had never envisioned herself being a pastor's wife, which initially threw me off and was a red flag and thought, well, maybe she's not the one. Um, But the more I got to know her, I realized that she had a genuine passion to honor and serve the Lord with her life and that she was willing to go anywhere, do anything for him. And so I realized that was good enough for me. And uh, as we were planning our wedding, we chose some songs that reflected our heart as to why we were getting married. And our wedding ceremony began with a song, and here I go, I'm going to date myself, and I'm always glad when the Mayfields are here because they're, you know, uh, fellow 80s uh, Christian rockers, okay? But uh, our, our wedding ceremony began with a song by the Imperials called, Not to Us, O Lord, based on Psalm 115. 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, O Lord, but to thy name give glory, to thy name give praise. As children of a mighty king, we make our lives an offering. All we have, we bring to you the honor and the love that you alone are worthy of. And so we started off with that and then after we kissed and we were pronounced husband and wife, we and our wedding party exited the sanctuary to a song called Hand in Hand by the Christian rock band DeGarmo and Key. It was rocking. It was like the end of a movie, man. The credits were rolling, you know, and we were exiting, and it was really, really fun. Well, ever since then, while it's not always been easy, it's been an honor and a privilege for Kelly and me to serve the Lord together hand in hand, as that song said. But what has also been uh, an unexpected honor and privilege is serving the Lord alongside so many fellow believers. And over the past 30 years, we have been blessed to get to know and minister with precious saints literally all over the world. And we've come to realize that for those of us who are in Christ, it really is a small world, isn't it? and we 're continually encouraged by the many connections that we have with other like minded believers and and ministers, but with that comes the challenge of keeping up with them and and uh you know over the years and and over the miles and I confess i don't always do that so well. Uh, I tend to be a wherever you all wherever you are be all there kind of guy uh kind of very focused and uh, you know, out of sight, out of mind is, is something that I struggle with. In fact, just this past week, I had to apologize profusely to a dear friend, an old college roommate who has been reaching out to me for months and was thinking that I had offended him because I wasn't responding to any of his calls or texts. And so, thankfully, he was very gracious and uh, was relieved to know that I was just a jerk. And uh, that's the only reason why I didn't respond. And so we're good. We're good again. Okay, we're good. We're dear friends. And so we picked up where we left off, and it's just like old times. But based on this text, Romans 16, I can't envision Paul ever having to apologize to anyone for falling out of touch with them because he obviously valued and cherished the relationships with fellow Christians and co-workers that he had developed over his many years and many miles of ministry. He truly loved each and every one of them and cared enough about them to to keep in touch with all of them and to keep track of where they were and what they were up to. Which, again, today's text clearly reveals. And by the way, he was doing all this When there were no cell phones, and you couldn't text one another, there was no Facebook where you could kind of check up on each other, checking people's Facebook page, and, you know, seeing the posts on Instagram and all that kind of stuff, it kind of, in some ways it kind of does it for us now. Um, But he had to put in the effort. And I think I need to say this as we kind of dive into this, this chapter, is when you consider the rich banquet of theology that, that Paul has been serving, us, serving up to us in every chapter of this letter, it would be easy to skim over uh, this closing chapter or maybe just skip it all together. Because at first glance, it, it does appear to be kind of an un- uninteresting and irrelevant list of names that really doesn't have any impact or influence on us today. But again, let me remind you of what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3:16. All scripture is inspired by God and what? Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. That is to say that the Bible contains no wasted words. Each and every word was breathed out by God's mouth for the benefit of our souls which includes the many lists of names in the Old and New Testaments. And if you're familiar with Paul's letters, you know it's not unusual for him to end uh, his letter or a letter by greeting and commending his companions or co-workers. We see it uh, specifically in Colossians chapter 4. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, you see it in the letters to the Corinthians as well. But here in this letter to the believers in Rome... uh, he listed more names than in any other of his epistles. He mentions 35 names in this chapter along with a number of other nameless saints and servants. And in verses one through 16, Paul addressed those he was writing to in Rome. And in verses 21 through 23, he included those who were with him in Corinth when he was writing this letter. And again, this was customary. In Paul's day, to close a letter with personal greetings to or from family members or friends or coworkers, I mean, we often end letters or emails even today uh, like that, uh, P.S., right? Say hi to so-and-so or, hey, so-and-so says hi. That's kind of what we do. And, and in, in Paul's case here, he did more than just pass on some incidental personal greetings. This was an opportunity for him to express his genuine affection and appreciation for his companions and coworkers, and also provide them some recognition or commendation for their contribution to his life and ministry. Paul knew that he could not have done all that he did without the help and support of a loyal faithful, sacrificial, hardworking group of fellow Christians and co-laborers. And really, except for that one time when he was dropped off in Athens and told to stay out of trouble, just to lie low, there was nobody there. He was on his own, but everywhere else, he was always traveling and ministering with other people uh, who he considered partners and colleagues and, and associates. And I think what makes this list remarkable is that he had never visited Rome before. He hadn't planted any of the house churches here. And so the question is, well, how did he know so many people in uh, the, the city of, of Rome? Well, Rome was the capital city, of course. Uh, and and it, so it, was, it really acted like a magnet, right, Where, uh, that drew people from all over the empire. And on top of that, during his three missionary journeys, Paul had traveled extensively to many of the the major population centers in the Roman Empire, uh, like places like Jerusalem, Antioch, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus, Philippi, uh, which brought him in contact with with a good majority of, of of the people, and so by the time he wrote this letter, there were many in Rome who he had crossed paths with on one of his many journeys. And I think by mentioning these companions, these co-workers by name, Paul was hoping to establish a rapport with those he didn't know yet and make them aware that many of the believers there already knew him and trusted him. If you remember uh, from the previous chapter, we said that, that what appears to be a theological dissertation is actually a missionary support letter. Paul was simply wanting to secure their help and support in in getting the gospel to Spain, and in the last half of chapter 15, we saw how Paul was this man on a mission, we said, and his passion was to share the gospel with those who had never heard it before, and his goal was to to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, which, again, at the time was Spain. Well, here in chapter 16, we continue to get a glimpse into Paul's heart. He wasn't uh, wasn't just passionate about the gospel He was also passionate about people. He had a heart for people. Which is a side of Paul that might get easily overlooked. Particularly in light of the fact that he was such a brilliant theologian, a a, a zealous soul winner. But he was a people person. And again, this is unique because normally driven type A individuals, which I assume Paul was, um, they don't have a whole lot of real friends. Why? Because relationships are functional and they, they merely serve to accomplish their goals. I recently watched a doc- documentary on the life of, life of Steve Jobs. And, and that was really kind of a, a tragic part of his life is that it seemed like he would just run over people uh, to accomplish his, his goals. And at the end of the day, he wasn't really well-liked by a whole lot of people. Um, but not, not the case for Paul. Um, he wasn't necessarily hard to get to know or to get close to, like oftentimes people, uh, like we assume he was, right? Um, he, he was um, warm, he was inviting, he was, he was personable, I imagine when you were in Paul's presence, he would look you straight in the eye. He would listen attentively to what you had to say. He might even kind of put his hand on your arm or on your shoulder. He might, in fact, give you a, give you a hug, and, and in fact, if, if what he said is true here, he would probably would have laid one on you, would have kissed you at some point in the conversation. We know that Paul was into relationship, if you will. Uh, coveted friendship, valued friendship. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse seven. But we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having so fond an affection for you that we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you'd become very dear to us. In other words, Paul didn't want to just be the talking head behind the pulpit and kind of keep a safe distance between him and the, the people that he was ministering to. No, he wanted to get involved in their lives. And so he didn't just impart the gospel, he imparted his own life. Why? Because he had great affection. They were very dear to him. And so I think it's safe to say, with the obvious exception of Jesus, based on this list and the other list of names that Paul included in his letters, Paul showed more interest in people and more care and concern for people than anyone else in the Bible. And this seemingly extraneous list of names is is very instructive in regards to the importance of Christian companionship. In other words, it is crucial for every Christian to develop and maintain close, loving, mutually edifying relationships friendships with fellow believers and those that we serve alongside in ministry. And this chapter is actually a continuation of Paul's theology, in which he models a theology of Christian friendship. And I'll just say as we as we we start here this morning that that as I've studied this passage, I have been personally inspired and convicted by Paul's example, to place a higher priority on how I relate to the people I live with and the people I serve with and do a better job of loving them and appreciating them and affirming them. And, and through this series of, of greetings and salutations, we, again, are, are, should be instructed and inspired to get close and to stay close to fellow members of the body of Christ. In other words, the bottom line is to love each other well. Paul had already challenged us to do that. If you remember in chapter 12, he said, let love be without hypocrisy, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Now he's modeling that for us in this final chapter. And he he addresses people here as servants, as Workers, as converts, as kinsmen, as prisoners, as beloved, as approved, as choice, as brethren, as mothers, as sister, as brother, as saints, slaves, households, and churches. And I thought originally maybe to characterize or 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 categorize uh, these names in some kind of fashion like that under their titles. But uh, I think a simpler way, a less confusing way to do that, is just simply to say we are going to look, first of all, at the salutations to believers in Rome, that's verses 1 through 16, and then salutations from believers in Corinth in verses 21 through 24. So let's look, first of all, at the salutations that Paul gives to believers in Rome. Verse 1, he says, I commend to you, our sister Phoebe, was a servant of the church, which is in, or excuse me, which is at Sancria. So he begins here by commending to the churches in Rome a faithful woman, whose name, by the way, meant bright and radiant. I mean, you can just imagine what kind of personality this Phoebe must have had, but she was from a like-minded church in Sancria, which was a seaport about eight miles southeast of Corinth, where Paul... Uh, wrote this letter, also where uh, Paul was writing his letter in Corinth, so it was close by, um, Sancria. Another interesting fun fact, it's where Paul got his hair cut before sailing to Ephesus. Apparently there was a sports eclipse there or something, I don't know, um, in Acts 18.18, kind of an odd little note that Luke includes there that uh, he got his hair cut before he hopped on the ship and headed out of Sancria. Now, most Bible scholars believe that Phoebe was the one who had been trusted with the distinguished honor of serving as Paul's emissary and delivering his magnum opus to the churches in Rome. And by the way, don't forget, this was in the day before photocopies. There was only one letter to the Romans. It was on a scroll. And Paul gave that to Phoebe and said, okay, girl, I'm counting on you to get this to Rome. What an awesome responsibility. And I think that's why he devoted part of this final chapter to commend her to the churches in Rome. Now, letters of commendation were common uh, in the ancient world. We see Paul mentioning uh, this in Acts 18.27, 2 Corinthians 3.1, these letters of commendation, which were very helpful for the church who was welcoming a new person uh, to have some kind of background Uh, from somebody that knew, uh, previously knew the the individual who was visiting, and it was also helpful for the visitor to have some sort of introduction. And again, it would just facilitate them making a quicker connection uh, with one another. Uh, You know, uh, for those of you that come from a a Baptist background, uh, you're familiar with that phrase, transferring your letter, right? Um, Some of you are like, what does that mean? I've actually had people come uh, to our Life at Lakeside class with their membership application and their letter. And uh, they hand it to me, and I know exactly what it is. They don't need to explain it. This is a letter from their old church, typically from their pastor or an elder or their, whoever was shepherding them, their small group leader, and it's just a letter of commendation that says, "Hey, I just want you to know that so and so has been a faithful member uh, of our church for this many years, and they've been a blessing to me and our entire body. And this is what they're good at, and and uh, uh, I know they'll be a blessing to you. And we hand them off to you now, uh, and we'll be praying as you shepherd their soul. Um, I love that; it's very biblical." Um, Now you don't need a letter of uh, recommendation or commendation from your church if you're coming next week to Live at Lakeside, but um, I think it's a great concept um, and that's what was going on here. Now notice he calls her a servant of the church which is at uh, Sankria. This is the word diakonon, which is of course where we get the word what? Deacon or perhaps deaconess. Um, At times this word was used informally to describe anyone who served, but it was also used formally of the office of deacon. We see that in Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, 1 Timothy 3.8, and following there, where Paul gives the, the qualifications for deacons, and some say deacons' wives, and others say deaconesses there. But uh, the, uh, whether Phoebe was officially recognized as a deaconess or not is hard to determine from this passage, but, but clearly she, was, uh, she played a significant role in the life of of the churches in which she served. And I I want to point out here that uh, that eight of the people that Paul mentioned in this list were women. And what can we learn from that? Well, the Bible prohibits women from serving in any role in the church that involves leading or teaching men. They still have a significant role to play in the local church. And the ministry of women is vital to the livelihood of the church. There there, there are certain ministries that that is clearly to the church's advantage to have women involved in. I mean, let's face it. Women are better equipped to serve other women. They're oftentimes better equipped to serve the children as well. Um, There's just a myriad of practical, tangible ways that women can can work and serve uh, in the church. We're going to see that as we go through this list. But notice he says... He goes on in verse two, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you, for she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. So Paul was imploring them to provide her any assistance that she needed, as she had done the same for so many others, including him. Um, Apparently, she had the gift of helps, which is one of the spiritual gifts that is listed in in, in, here in Romans and also in, in 1 Corinthians. And she devoted herself uh, to the ministry of serving others. Some say based on that word helper there, uh, it, it may have been that she was a woman of means uh, who used her wealth and resources to support the church and those that God had placed over it. I recently came into contact with uh, some godly, wealthy businessmen, Uh not a part of our church, some other churches that I'm aware of, and uh, God has just blessed their businesses, um, and, and so what they use that those businesses really, do, they're just a cover for ministry is what they are, and they're using uh, the, their wealth to support the churches. They're also providing jobs for young men who are getting trained for the ministry, who want to be pastors, and so they, they hire these guys. And they give them positions and they give them the flexibility to go to class, um, you know, and so they can, can figure out how to get through seminary, right, and still work and lead their family and, and uh, shepherd their, their family. And so it's just a blessing to see how God is ble- blessing their, these men's um, livelihoods because of their, uh, the way they've um, been such a blessing to the church. I also want to say it's been a blessing... For me to watch you uh, serve the influx of new folks that we've had coming to our church, some from other parts of the state, other parts of the country. And you've not only just welcomed them with open arms on a Sunday morning, that's relatively easy to do, but you've also gone the extra mile and uh, helped them move in and get settled in. And that's essentially what I think Paul was envisioning here, that, hey, Phoebe's moving. She's coming over there. For some reason, her business, business was taking her there or whatever, but she was going to be settling in there in Rome, and, and you guys needed to help her uh, get settled in. He goes on to talk about a couple that we've probably all heard of before. He says, greet Prissa and Aquila. This is just a shortened version of Priscilla and Aquila, who is that godly couple mentioned six times in the New Testament, three times by Luke and Acts, and three times by Paul here, and, and his other closing greetings in 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 Timothy 4, uh, notice he says, Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who, who, who for my life risk their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles also greet the church that is in their house. Paul first came in contact with this couple in Corinth on his second missionary journey. We, we learned that from Acts chapter 18. Uh, they had fled from Rome. Uh, originally when all the Jews were expelled by Emperor Claudius uh, and Paul worked with them as they, remember what? What did they do for a living? They were tent makers. And so they, they plied their trade together. Uh, they traveled with him to Ephesus and while they were there, they came alongside a, a fervent young preacher named Apollos and uh, they helped deepen his understanding of the gospel. Uh, we see, again, we see this all in Acts 18. Um, and apparently, according to what Paul says here about them, that on at least one occasion, they had actually put their lives on the line for Paul's sake. They had risked their lives. Maybe it was during the riot that broke out in Ephesus when, if you remember, the idol-making industry tanked because so many people were coming to Christ. This is Acts 19. And he says, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. In other words, this dynamic ministry duo So sacrificially served and powerfully impacted the entire body of Christ, wherever they traveled, wherever they lived, wherever they served, everyone knew Aquila and Priscilla because of their faithful, hardworking service. He says, also greet the church that is in their house. So after Claudius died, they returned to Rome and at the time they were hosting a church in their home which was their practice, wherever they had gone, it seems that uh, they had a church in their home when they were living in Corinth. They had a church in their home uh, when they were in Ephesus. We see that in 1 Corinthians 16, 19. And then he goes on to greet Appenitus, my beloved, who was the first convert to Christ from Asia. His name means praiseworthy um, and Being the fact that this was the first person Paul led to Christ in Asia Minor, naturally, he had a special place uh, in Paul's heart. He goes on and says, to greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Literally, she exhausted herself doing the work of the ministry in the churches of Rome. Again, here's another woman playing a key role in Paul's life and ministry, just like women did in the life of Jesus and in his ministry. Notice in verse 7, greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who were outstanding among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Now this may have been another husband and wife team, Junius, some believe is is a woman's name here. They were fellow Jews, that's what Paul meant by they were his kinsmen, probably not blood relatives, but they were fellow Jews who had been converted to Christ before him. Uh, And their ministry had either gained the respect and appreciation of the early apostles or they were considered apostles in the broader sense of the word, like Barnabas, for example, was considered an apostle, even though he wasn't one of the 12 apostles, right? Big A apostle. Uh, Sometimes uh, believers were referred to as apostles or sent ones. Um, Apparently, they were also cellmates with Paul during one of the many times he was arrested, for preaching the gospel. 2 Corinthians 11.23 says that he was imprisoned many times, um, and so they were apparently with him at one point. Notice verse eight. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Uh, This was a common name for a slave. In fact, in the Roman catacombs, there's an elaborate tomb with this name on it. And because free men had more than one name, the fact that this tomb only has one name seems to indicate that this slave was uh, an important person in the church. And again, it provides some insight here that, that in the Roman church, there was no distinction based on whether you were a slave or a free man. Didn't matter in Christ. He goes on, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stacus my beloved. Again, we know nothing about, these men, other than what Paul said to us here, the word Stachus or the name stachis literally means ear of corn. So who knows? This could have been in the redneck, redneck Roman, right? You know, the, the country boy that ended up in the big city. We're not sure. Uh, greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Apparently, this man had come through some great trial or test and passed with flying colors, which pre- proved his faith in Christ was the real deal. And then he says this: he says, Greet those who are of the household of Aristopolis. Literally, greet those who belong to the household of Aristopolis. Now, this is probably the grandson of Herod the Great. And since Paul didn't greet him personally, he was likely not a believer, or maybe he had already passed away. But apparently some of his family members and/or slaves had come to know Christ. And the fact that the very next name he mentions, Herodian, greet Herodian, my kinsman, um, connects these two guys and and makes this likely. He was probably a slave as well. He could have even been the head slave uh, of of this household. Again, he says there in uh, verse 11, greet those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Uh, Narcissus was a... Uh, according to historians, a wealthy freedman who had risen to prominence under, under Claudius Caesar, the one who had ejected the Jews from, uh, from Rome, uh, but he had been eventually put to death by Nero when he took over, when he took the throne. Uh, evidently, there were some members of his household who had come to faith in Christ. And if you remember in Philippians chapter 4, verse 22, in Paul's final greetings there, he said, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So even some of the high ups in, in, in Rome had come to faith in Christ. And again, just to, I think it's important to, 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 to recognize here that, 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 that slaves in this list is a powerful reminder that all social distinctions are erased because we are all one in Christ. Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse 28 makes that clear, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Another way of saying that is Paul was colorblind, right? Didn't matter, he didn't show favoritism, didn't matter where you were from, what color skin uh, you were, what culture you came from, it was irrelevant to him. If you were in Christ, you were his brother, you were his sister, you were his mother, you were his father, depending on uh, the age uh, that you were. And then in verse 12, he says, Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. These two could have been sisters, possibly twins, based on their names, which meant, you ready for this? Dainty and delicate. That's what Tryphena and Tryphosa mean. However, despite their names, they were more like dynamite when it came to serving the Lord. They weren't scared to roll up their sleeves and and, and get dirty uh, for, for the work of the kingdom. Uh, he goes on to mention Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. This is another uh, woman who performed a valuable service for the Lord and his church. And the fact that he's, she's mentioned in past tense, it could be that she was an older woman, uh, more of a, maybe a widow who uh, kind of had uh, hung up her uh, you know, service, if you will, uh, to some degree, and she was being cared for by the church after all of those faithful years of ministry, But again, she's the fourth woman uh, here in this text referred to as a hard worker. You have a wife who is a hard worker, a single woman who is a hard worker. You have two sisters, and now you've got this older, perhaps, widow. Again, I think an insight here into Paul's heart is that he was no misogynist or chauvinist, like he's often accused of being or assumed to be based on what he taught about women's roles in 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy chapter two. He honored women. In fact, he gave women more opportunities than uh, the the, the culture in his day gave women. Uh, He opened up great opportunities for service in the church for women. Notice he says, greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, Also his mother and mine. This is likely one of the sons of Simon of Cyrene, who you may remember was the man who was commandeered by the Roman soldiers to carry Jesus' cross and was likely saved through that experience. Perhaps like the the thief on the cross and maybe the, the, the Roman soldier, right, who said when Christ died, surely this was, truly this was the Son of God. And so we say, well, how do we make that connection? Well, Mark chapter 15, verse 21, uh, Mark mentions the two sons of Simon of Cyrene, Alexander and Rufus. And since Mark wrote his gospel in Rome and for a Roman audience and mentioned the names of Simon's sons, that assumes they were both well-known in Rome. And so Rufus had become a, a choice servant and apparently, his mother had treated Paul like her own son. That's why he says, and, and his mother and mine. In other words, she, she treated me uh, and cared for me and loved me like her own son. And then he goes on to list in verse 14 he greets Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the brethren with them. Apparently, these five men lived together served together, worked together. Perhaps they were the leaders of one of the house churches in Rome. He greets another list, Philogeles and Julia, perhaps another woman there, another couple, Nereus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. So perhaps this group formed the nucleus of another house church there in Rome. Um, Which, by the way, you know, Church buildings didn't pop up until maybe the second or third century, and uh, the early church just met in houses. And that's why it's, it's uh, common for churches today to say, hey, we want to get back to, to the way the church was in the New Testament, and we're not going to have a building, we're just going to have house churches, and everyone kind of uh, meets in houses, and, and that's a great concept, right? Um, that, uh, you know, that's sort of what we do with our grow groups, or little house churches, if you will. Um, But then notice this familiar phrase, verse 16. Paul concludes here by saying, greet one another with a holy kiss, which was a common way Christians would greet one another back then. Uh, This same exhortation is given four other times uh, in 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians 13, 1 Thessalonians 5, and then Peter also says it in 1 Peter chapter 5, to greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh, Jesus rebuked Simon, the self-righteous Pharisee, for not giving, a, giving him that customary kiss when he entered into his home, Luke 7. Uh, you may remember when Paul said farewell to the Ephesian believer, or excuse me, the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, there was lots of hugging and lots of kissing. And these were men. And so the holy kiss is still... Practiced among Christians in some countries and cultures today. Uh, I have not had the experience that Chris Steyer has to go to Russia and to have a Russian man plant one straight on your lips. And uh, that's one reason why I've avoided Russia on mission trips. I've just gone to India, South Africa, Africa. They're not you're not kissing people on the lips. At least the men aren't anyway kissing you on the lips. But they do that in Russia. And again, it's a term of endearment. It's precious um, to those believers. And it's a way that they express their, their love. It's a visible, tangible expression of, of, of care and concern and, and, and affection. And uh, thankfully, in our culture, it's been replaced with things like a handshake or, or a hug, Right? It's always a, a blessing for me to come up and hug on you guys on, 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 on Sundays when I see you. And again, it's just a, it just it kind of replaces the holy kiss, um, especially in COVID times, right? But then notice he says, all the churches of Christ greet you. So churches all over Achaia, Macedonia, Asia Minor joined in sending their greetings. So this was Paul... Right, writing from Corinth, and uh, which was in Achaia, and uh, greater Macedonia and Asia Minor. So uh, all the churches, that's what he's referring to, all the churches uh, greet you. And uh, the group of men that he goes on to mention in verses 21 through 23, uh, these are men who had been appointed by all these churches to accompany Paul to deliver the offering to the saints in Jerusalem, uh, they had all assembled there in Corinth. And, and, and Luke tells us that the group included delegates from Berea and Thessalonica and Derby and Asia. This is Acts chapter 20. And so they were standing apparently by his side when he was concluding this letter to the believers in Rome. And so like I said, if you're standing around and you're talking to somebody on the phone or you're texting them, you're like, hey, tell them I said Hi. Right? I mean, this is kind of what you do. And so they were probably saying, hey, Paul, tell them I said hi. And uh, send my greetings. And so we see here in these verses, 21 through 23, salutations from believers in Corinth. And so who were who are these men that were gathered? Well, there's Timothy. My fellow worker greets you. So Timothy was Paul's son in the faith, his, his kindred spirit. He was his most trusted partner. He had no one more loyal more like him than Timothy. Um, In fact, he wrote two letters to his son in the faith, uh, his young protege, passing the baton to him, if you will, the mantle of ministry to, to Timothy. And he says, and so does Lucas, or Lucius, Some say this is another name for Luke, who was Paul's personal physician who traveled with him wherever he went. The only problem with that is Luke was a Gentile, and so these men are called kinsmen. Again, meaning that they were his fellow Jews. We know um, Luke was a Gentile, In fact, the only Gentile that wrote any portion of, of Scripture, by the way, um, at least the New Testament, um, he may have been one of the prophets and teachers in Antioch. I think that's a better pick on who this Lucius is. In fact, there's a man named Lucius in Acts chapter 13, 1 through three, who commissioned and sent out Paul and Barnabas. He was part of the church in Antioch, the leadership of the church in Antioch. Uh, Jason might have been the one who hosted Paul in his home during his time in Thessalonica. If you remember, the Jews got all up in arms when Paul arrived in Thessalonica and started preaching, and they couldn't find Paul, and so they went to the house where he was staying, and Jason was there, and they grabbed Jason and they drug him out, and we're gonna rough him up and said, Where are these men that have turned the world upside down? That's probably the Jason here that he's referring to. And then there's this last guy, Sosipater, um, was a convert from Berea who accompanied Paul on part of his third missionary journey. We find his name uh, mentioned also in Acts chapter 20, verse four. And then there's this guy named Tertius, who he said, I write, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. So this was Paul's amanuensis, the guy who he dictated this letter to. Paul didn't write this by himself, he dictated it. He was, Tertius was his secretary. Uh, again, this was common for Paul. You, you pick up that from reading some of his other letters that, hey, he kind of grabbed the pen at the end of the process and said, I'm signing this in my, uh, with my pen, my own pen, my own hand, and that's why it's so big and so illegible because some said he had some problem with his eyesight and he couldn't see real well, um, but Pope Paul would always put his uh, stamp of approval fuel on his letters. So Tertius took the liberty to insert a personal greeting of his own here and then you have this uh, guy named Gaius, host to me and to the whole church, greets you. there, and, and this is one of four men named Gaius in the New Testament. I think that since Paul was writing this letter from Corinth, this was likely the Gaius mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14, who Paul baptized after he was converted to Christ. His full name was Gaius Gaius. Titius, justice. And ironically, he had a home next to the synagogue, which became the host home of the church in Corinth. So that's this Gaius guy. And then finally, well, I shouldn't say finally, then there's Erastus, the city treasurer. So this is the man who held the purse strings of Corinth. So Paul had uh, one of these government officials had come to Christ Um, had responded to the gospel, was part of the church there. Um, Erastus was a common name back then, so uh, not sure exactly who this was. It may have been the same Erastus mentioned in 2 Timothy 4.20. Um, He obviously held a prominent position in the city. He may have also been eventually placed in charge of the public work since the name Erastus is still clearly legible in in, in a first century Latin inscription uh, on a marble pavement there in the ruins of Corinth. You can go there and see it to this day. And then Cordus, the brother. Possibly Erastus, literal brother, or simply here's another spiritual brother in the Lord. This is one of Paul's little brothers in the Lord. We're not sure exactly. But again, these guys were perhaps standing around Paul as he finalized this letter and they wanted to send their greeting uh, to the believers in Rome. Again, what are we to take away from this roll call of faithful companions and co-workers of the Apostle Paul? Uh, Obviously, there was a, a connection between all of them. And not just a a casual connection, there was a close connection. There was a a genuine, sincere love for one another. And so what are some implications? Let me just give you some, some, share some thoughts that I've had as I've uh, studied this passage. Some implications, practical implications for our lives based on this text. Number one, the gospel is all about people. You think about where this comes at the end of this this explanation, the greatest explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ found anywhere, not just in the Bible, but in literature, world literature, comes this list of names. And I think it's just a very helpful reminder that the gospel ultimately is all about people. People spread the gospel. People respond to the gospel. The gospel is not just something theological. It's deeply personal. And so make sure that when you share the gospel, remember you're talking to a person. It's not that you just have this this truth that you want to dump on them. And so you just kind of back up your dump truck and go, okay, there you go. I did my job. See you later. No, there, there needs to be a relationship. Be kind, be gracious, be personable, be relatable. I'll never forget reading about a a certain apologist who debated the well-known atheist Madeline Murray O'Hare. It's a name you're probably heard of before. You're familiar with that name. Um, She was the one that was responsible to get prayer out of school, right, because she didn't want her her, as an atheist, she didn't want her son having to acknowledge God in, in public school. And so anyway, th- this apologist debated her, and during the debate, he tactlessly tore her up one side, down the other, very, was very cruel, was very cutting. And after the debate, some of his Christian friends, good for them, came up to him and suggested that he had been overly harsh towards her and driven her farther away from the Lord. And he immediately replied, I didn't go there to save souls, but to destroy a heretic. How sad is that, right? He missed the whole point. Madeline Murray was hair. Yeah, she may have been an atheist, but she was a person with a soul. And she desperately needed to hear the gospel from another person who was gracious and kind and truly loved and cared for her. Again Paul ended this theological treatise on the gospel by recalling the names of people people whose lives had been transformed by the gospel. So what is this? What we learn names. Remember names. Use names. Pray for people by name. The gospel is all about people. Secondly, this list of individuals gives us insight into the diverse makeup of the early church. And it included all sorts of people from all, all walks of life, and they came from all different backgrounds, different social statuses. There was Jews, there was Gentiles, there was male and female, there was married couples, there were single, singles, there was widows, there were city folks, there was redneck country folks, I mean, um, there was old and young, there was well-to-do businessmen, there were Destitute slaves, there was ex-cons, there was whites, there was blacks. you fill in the blank. And yet despite the diversity, there was great love, there was great unity. And what tied all of them together was that they were in Christ, which made them all part of the same body, the body of Christ, the church. And this phrase, in Christ, or in the Lord, is used one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times in these verses. They were in Christ, in the Lord, in the Lord, in Christ. And believe it or not, the word church is mentioned for the first time in this letter in this chapter. In verse 1, verse 4, verse 5, verse 16, verse 23. So, what a great reminder of the church. That's who we are. We're the body of Christ. And, and look around for a second. Go go ahead, look around. It's okay. Don't look at me. Look around. Look at each other. This is a diverse bunch. And, and in many ways, we don't have a whole lot in common except for the most important thing, which is who? Jesus Christ. We are in Christ. And that's what makes all the other things about us irrelevant. What color we are, what country we're from, what, what, what subdivision we live in, what kind of car we drive, how much money we make, how, who, if we went to college or not, you know, your, your zip code. Again, none of this stuff matters because we're in Christ. And so we should enjoy this loving unity. Number three, another implication is Christianity is a team sport. Christianity is a team sport. In other words, the success of the church is not based on one celebrity pastor or superstar missionary. It takes everyone, including the less prominent and less talented players. You know, think about some of the 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 most successful sports teams. It's not because of you know their A players, if you will. They're the, 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 the franchise players that are getting paid the big bucks, right? It's those guys that can come off the bench and fill in at strategic times and they do their job, right? And, and those superstars need those people that can come in and give them, help them catch their breath a little bit right? and do their job and, and, and hang tough uh, in their role. And as we look at this list, I mean, for the most part, we've never heard of any of these people. Which means there were a whole lot of ordinary people who contributed to the spread of the gospel and the building of the church in the first century and, and, and the names of these normal everyday believers who humbly and faithfully serve the Lord are memorialized here in this chapter with a little brief epitaph, a little word or phrase that summed up their life and ministry. I thought it would be good to ask ourselves, I know I've asked myself this question, if Paul were to mention me in a letter, what would he say about me? What would he say about you? What would would come to mind when he was writing your name? Hey, I want to greet so-and-so. What would be the first thing that came into Paul's mind when he thought about you? How would he eulogize you? Or maybe another way to think about it is, what, what is one word or phrase that You would want to be you would want to have on your gravestone. I don't know if you're morbid like Kelly and me, but sometimes we get a kick out of going finding an old graveyard and going in there and checking out all the old Puritans, you know, looking for Jonathan Edwards and his wife. And it's fascinating to see some of the ways that these people are described. Sometimes just one word. Or phrase, beloved wife. Faithful pastor, whatever. The truth of the matter is none of us will ever be recorded in Scripture because Scripture's done, by the way, right? So none of us are gonna get our names in the Bible. In fact, what we do for the Lord may never be remembered by anyone here on this earth. But it will not be forgotten by the Lord. Hebrews 6:10: "For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward His name and having ministered and in still ministering to the saints." Another thought, four, number four, one of the best ways to make friends and build strong bonds is by getting plugged in and serving together. I read somewhere that a uh, story about a, a family that came to a church and they asked somebody that was there, a member of the church, say, hey, is this a friendly church? And they responded, well, what was the church like that you just came from? Uh, it really wasn't that friendly. And <laughs> the guy said, well, you're probably going to find that we're the same way. This point was, it's not so much the church that makes the difference, it's, it's you, right? In order to have a friend, you need to, what? Be a friend. And if you feel like our church is cold and unwelcoming, well, then get involved. Get involved in a grow group. That, that's where a lot of the relationships are, are developed and, and formed is, is in those small groups that meet every week or every other week. It's not gonna happen in this big group on a Sunday morning. We're just kind of running and ships passing in the night here. So get involved in, 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 in a grow group and, and throw yourself into ministry. Find a ministry where you can, where you can serve and, and you'll be pleasantly surprised by the friendships that you develop and the bonds that you form as you minister alongside one another. As you're moving that family from... This house to that house, you know, moving furniture in and out of their house and rolling stuff around and you, you can build relationships or serving alongside somebody in the children's ministry or the student ministry or cooking burgers one, one night for the students, you know, sitting there in the, on the, the cook trailer and you kind of develop a relationship with someone and next thing you know, you're buds and you're like getting together for lunch and having your families over at each other's houses and it all started because you were serving alongside one another. And then lastly, the number five, what I wrote down, something that I read somewhere and I've never forgot it. Doing what you love with people you love is a rare gift from God. Doing what you love with people you love is a rare gift from God. And I'll just say I am so grateful that I can say that. That I get to do that every day. I get to do what I love with people that I love. My two, great, no, my two most favorite groups of people in my life, in my world, are my family and my ministry team. There's no two groups of people that I'd rather spend time with. I love, 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 love going home on Sunday after church and somehow all the kids show back up on Sunday afternoon. And the house is full again. It's like, hey, we still have three kids and they came home on Sunday afternoon and it's just so fun. And we're not doing anything special. We're just kind of s- standing around in the kitchen and, you know, making some panini or something and, you know, or, or uh, you know, some grilled cheese or who knows what. We're just standing around cooking hot dogs and eating chips and maybe the football game's on and and we're not doing anything special, but we're just hanging together and it just feels good. It just feels right. Um, it's home. It's family. And then I get to come to church during the week and hang out with our ministry team who I just love, our pastors, our elders, our deacons, our administrative staff. They're just a joy to be around. Uh, they're a blessing. And so um, that's a gift from the Lord. I, think, to, I could think I could speak for our leadership team, that you have a leadership team here at the church that really gets to do what we love with people that we love. And oh, by the way, we love you too. And uh, this is just a blessing. And hopefully you can say the same thing. And uh, may God grant us grace that we could enjoy the depth of fellowship and experience the, the partnership that we see expressed and modeled in this chapter. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Paul's example here that has been so convicting for me personally. Uh, to see how much he loved people and that um, even though he was a task-oriented kind of guy like I tend to be, uh, he never ran over people or just passed by people without taking the time to to, to reach out to them and speak to them and cultivate relationship with them and recognize them and, and affirm them and express appreciation to them. And I pray that all of us would learn to be that kind of person, that we would just be always trying to outdo one another and how we love and care for one another. Lord, help us to love one another well. And may we be able to uh, experience this type of camaraderie that Paul did in the work of the ministry as the body of Christ. Lord, that's what you intended us to be and how you intended us to function. So may we experience that here at Lakeside Bible. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.